Well, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there who are here in the room as well as watching online. We hope that you have an amazing Father's Day, and we're just glad that you're here worshiping God with us. And we're about to go continue through this series that we've been in called Engage, and I want to talk a little bit today about getting stuck. But when I think about getting stuck and then unstuck, I remember a story about my early ministry days when I was a youth pastor. I was, I don't know, 18, 19 years old as a youth pastor, and my wife and I um, each took the uh, uh, boys, I took the boys, she took the girls, because that's how it needs to work in youth ministry, and, uh, and, and took them in, in, in my vehicle uh, to go do a video scavenger hunt. So I took the boys in my 91 Ford Probe, that's what I had at the time, and I piled a lot of boys in that vehicle. I think there were more boys than were, there were seat belts, but you didn't hear that from me. Um, and my wife took uh, our Toyota Corolla, and uh, <clears throat> she piled that up with girls, and they each had a video camera, and we went on a scavenger hunt all over the city. And the goal was to get all of the things videoed and come back to our youth house. It was literally an older house that had been gutted and made into a youth room. And uh, it was surrounded by grassy property, and it had been raining uh, for quite some time, uh, and the ground was really soft. And so we're out there doing the scavenger hunt, and we won. The boys won. We got back first. But I had the bright idea to take my Ford Probe and pull it around behind the youth house so when the girls pulled up, they would think we got here first. They're like, yay, we won. And then they would go into the youth house and there would be the boys, ha, we really won first, right? So I was thinking creatively and I thought this would be a fun thing to do. What I didn't think about was all the rain and the fact that the ground was incredibly soft. So I pull my little Ford Probe behind the youth house, this great idea. And as I'm pulling back there, one of the youth boys said, hey, it's been raining a lot. You might get stuck back behind the youth house. And this was my response. I looked at him and I said, don't worry. I've got low gear in my Ford Probe. We'll be okay. <laughs> and uh, well, low gear got me stuck back there and my tires began to spin. Luckily, my father-in-law lived just right down the street. So he came up with his four-wheel drive pickup truck. And I thought, well, this is going to get us out, right? No, it got his four-wheel drive pickup truck stuck in the mud as well. So he had to get his pickup truck unstuck. So he called his buddy who came and hooked up to his truck and pulled his truck out and then pulled my car out. And I spent the next two or three days, uh, my senior pastor assigned me the duty of filling in the ruts that were in the church lawn. Um, and uh, so far as cleaning all of that up. But I got stuck, man, and, and, and it was really, really bad. So my great idea turned into something just terrible. I think in life we all have a tendency to get stuck. And we get stuck when things happen that are outside of our control. We get stuck when things don't go our way, and it causes us to keep our wheels spinning, but we're not really going anywhere. We get stuck in the offense. We get stuck in the hurt. We get stuck in the pain. We get stuck because we're upset about things that are happening that we don't like. I don't know about you, but I'm still stuck and upset over the fact that Drew Carey has a long skinny mic on The Price is Right that is wireless. Bob Barker had a wired mic, and he had to carry that mic all around the stage, and I think that Drew Carey should have to do the same. It's just how it's supposed to be. And even though it's a tall, long, skinny microphone, it's wireless, it just feels wrong. It feels wrong on so many levels, but pray for me that I'll get over that. But we get stuck when things that are difficult happen, and we don't know how to move on sometimes because we get stuck 
in offense. And here's the worst part about getting stuck in offense is that it will cause us to disengage. It will cause us to disengage from the things that God has called us to, the things he's gifted us to do, the things he's created us to do. So how do we move on when what happened outside of my control still hurts and makes me angry? Like, how do I get unstuck. That's what I want us to talk about today. And to kick this off in Scripture, let's go over to Romans chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, and I know you do, go over to Romans chapter 1. And we're going to look at a few different passages of Scripture, but I wanted to start out here because the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Christians who are all a part of the same church, but they have very different backgrounds. There's one group that is Jewish, and they have all this Jewish heritage, and now they're Christians worshiping in Rome. And then there's the Greeks, who have a different type of heritage, but they've become Christians now, and they're worshiping in the same church with these Jewish Christians. And they have very different ideas about what's important, what makes them significant, and Paul is trying to unify them, and he's trying to help them to see what matters most. And so he writes this letter to the church in Rome to help them understand the true gospel. And I want to pick this up. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, and we're going to read through the second chapter, verse 5, of the, this letter to the church in Rome to help us understand this picture he's trying to paint for these Christians, and I hope that it helps us today. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 says this, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to the dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. 
because you, the judge, practice the same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. But do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the richness of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impotent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Here, Paul is making it very clear that this sin issue is something that is shared by all of us. And he does something here that is just absolutely masterful in helping all of us to understand our sin. Because he says here that you who judge those who are doing these types of sins, he said, you're actually doing the same types of things. So what he's trying to do is paint a picture that we're all guilty. He's trying to help these Jews and these Greeks say, no, it doesn't matter about what type of sin you've done. You're all guilty. Even those of you who are judging those who are doing these types of things, you're actually practicing the same things. We don't like that because we want to classify sin and we want to have like the bad ones over here and we all know the bad ones right we all have our list of the bad sins and then you know the ones that are kind of like it's cool i mean it's bad i should do better right i should do better but at least i'm not doing this list over here and paul just lumps them all together he starts talking about sexual immorality, murder, and then he starts talking about being disobedient to parents. And he starts talking about gossiping. And he talks about Emmy. And he just lumps all of this together. And he's saying, you're all guilty. You've all done these things. And so, in other words, God is just. And for God to be just, that means he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. And all of us are guilty of sin. All of us deserve to be punished because if God is just, he can't let sin go unpunished. He can't just turn a blind eye to sin and wrongdoing of any sort and just let it go because if he truly is a just and righteous judge of what truly is right and what is not right, then he's the one who gets to make those decisions, not you and not I because he's the only one perfect, right? And so he is the one worthy to do that. And if he's just, he can't let it go unpunished. In Romans 3 and 23, Paul goes on further to talk about this, and he says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in Romans 3, 23, that word all in the Greek is translated to all. That means everyone. So we're getting deep and talking about the Greek today, right? All means all. That means everyone. All of us have fallen short of the glory. We've all done this. And so I want to help us to understand something as we're talking about getting unstuck and re-engaging. The problem is that we've all sinned. We have all been the victim of someone offending us or someone doing wrong to us. We all have been the victim in some way, shape, or form. But also, by the same note, we also have been the one causing the offense and the hurt as well. All of us have shared in this. And actually, here's the worst part of all of it. Forget about even offending and hurting one another. We've offended God. Because Scripture says that those that don't know Christ are actually enemies of God. 
That's a big deal. I don't want to be God's enemy. I don't know about you, right? And so God has to have sin punished. And so instead of you and I getting the punishment for our sin, Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, takes the punishment that you and I deserved, therefore absorbing the wrath of God that was due to you and I because the wages of sin is death, separation eternally from God. But instead of us being eternally separated from God, Jesus Christ made a way, and he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God except by him, and he has forgiven us by taking the punishment that we deserve because God remains just, And we somehow get forgiveness because of the substitutionary atonement of Christ. Because of what he has done on the cross for you and for me. And I praise God for that. Amen? And and here's the thing, church. We get stuck in a fence and we forget this message. We forget the gospel. Because to whom much is given, much is required. And you and I have been forgiven much, amen? And all of us have also been hurt. We've hurt others. We've been offended. We've even been offended in the context of the family of God and the church. We've been hurt. We've been disappointed. We've been frustrated. But for us to engage and get unstuck, we have to start somewhere. Otherwise, we're going to be stuck behind the youth house in our Ford probe spinning the wheels, and we need some help. We need some help to get unstuck. And for us to get unstuck, we all need to start by remembering the gospel. Remembering where we once were, who we formerly were before Christ. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, if you are a new creation, yes, the old things are gone and all things have become made new because of what Christ has done. And we praise God for that. But Paul also reminds Christians in several places in the New Testament, hey, once formerly, you walked this way. You followed after whatever you wanted to do, after the pattern of this world. You, you did the things that you thought were good. So don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where you were. Don't forget the weight of what Christ has done on the cross. And don't forget that you were forgiven much. It doesn't matter which column you were in of how you want to classify sins when you look at Romans chapter 1 he lumps all of these together and says that even if we're judging we're actually doing those same things and we all need that forgiveness because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God but then Paul begins to articulate this beautiful gospel this good news of what Christ has done and he does this Uh, in several places, but I want to kind of hone in on Romans 5. So if you would just go over there with me. Let's read the first 11 verses of the fifth chapter of Romans because here's the good news of the gospel. Therefore, verse 1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh man, praise God. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we were reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This should give us hope. I am so glad that God has saved me. I'm so thankful and grateful for what Jesus has done. And when I remind myself of my own need for forgiveness, it requires me, listen, it, requ it, it, is, it, it, it requires me to think about the weight of what I've been forgiven. And reminding yourself of this gospel and your own need for forgiveness is truly required if you're ever going to be free from the chains of offense. This is where you start. This is the starting place. I must be reminded of the gospel because we can so quickly forget. Because we can praise Jesus all day long for forgiving us, but I don't want to forgive that person that offended me. I want to hold on to that. That's my little pet. That's, I hang on to it. And I hold on to that offense and it begins to take root in my heart. And then it begins to affect other areas of my life and I give a ton of power to it because I submit myself to it and I began to continually feed it by thinking about it, by speaking about it, and by giving life to it and keeping that thing alive. And the longer I keep that hurt, that wound, that offense, that frustration alive, it then just becomes more and more this, this disease in my life that continues to just affect the way that I look at other people, the way I treat other people, the way I trust people, the way I'm willing to preserve unity, though my, my joy, my peace, all of these things are affected by this. And it's a trick, it's a trap. And we hold on to it because we feel like if we, if we forgive that, that, that somehow we're not going to be justified and we want, we want our own brand of justification. Do you really want your own brand of justification? Because did you get the justification that you deserved for what you did as an enemy of God? No, we got grace instead. We didn't get what we deserved. Amen, church? And so when we give grace to others, when we forgive those who have wronged us, those outside of the family of God and both those within the family of God, then it helps us to begin to get unstuck and on that journey to healing. But that's easier said than done, right? I mean, let's just be real. It's easier said than done. Because a lot of us know this. This is not any new news. You know you're supposed to forgive. You know you're supposed to preserve unity. But those things become difficult. It becomes especially difficult when we begin to continually share that offense with other people. And we share how we were wronged or how that wasn't right or that's not okay. And we can talk about those things and those people in those situations in the same manner as if it just happened yesterday, but maybe it's been years since that happened. 
And we still can conjure up those same emotions that we felt. And maybe they've even become magnified. Maybe it's grown and it's actually become worse. And your, your emotions that are attached to what was said or done or not done have grown and have been expounded upon. And maybe you have been the source of sharing that offense with other people who weren't even a part of being offended, but they're offended for you. And they don't even know the whole situation, but they're also offended. So it's become this infectious thing that's spread that other people are taking on the care of this offense. And they're angry and they don't even know what they're angry about. And you've become a stumbling block of offense for other people. And it's caused them to stumble by your gossiping, by your backbiting, by, your, by, by just the ugliness in your heart. And you get stuck in that. It's like a bad song that's just on repeat over and over again and it's tormenting and it hurts you and it hurts your relationships and it hurts your witness and it hurts the body of Christ and God wants you to be free from that amen it wears you down and it makes you disengage it makes you disconnect and we want to be people who are engaging and it's great to hear about gifts and being inspired to be you know uh, uh, using my gifts and discovering my gifts and all that stuff is fun but it's hard when you're hurting really hard when you're still living in that place of offense living in that kind of clouded mentality where those emotions and those thoughts are constantly being kept alive and given power in your life but we start the pathway to healing this is the same for every one of us we start the pathway to healing by reminding ourselves of the gospel and when i remember what i was forgiven of when I remember the great gift that was given to me, it begins to temper my heart and change my heart towards other people. And just like Pastor Evan taught this past week, he talked about the need for the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to be able to love people the way we're supposed to. Amen? Because I can't do it in myself. I'm just not that great of a person. I'm just not. So I need something supernatural working in me because my natural man is selfish. My natural man wants revenge. My natural man wants vindication. My natural man doesn't want to take the high road. It wants to take the low road and take everybody down with me. Let's go. But that's not what's going to honor God. And that's the hard part is how do I do it with the right attitude and the right heart and honor God? How do I find healing through the process? Because I'm not supposed to just be a doormat either. So how do I do this in love? How do I continue to be healed? I need the Holy Spirit. He's the helper. He's the comforter. You can't love with that agape love if you're not operating in the Holy Spirit and saying, Lord, I need you right now. Holy Spirit, help me because I know I'm going to have to talk to this person or I know I'm going to have to deal with this situation or I know I'm going to see that coworker again or that family member or whatever. Lord, help me. I need your help. Holy Spirit, Help me do the thing that I'm struggling to do in my own flesh. I want to crucify that flesh, and I want to just depend on you, Lord, to help me to love that person the way I need to, to help me to let that thing go, to help me to forgive, to help me to, to, to extend that olive branch to try to bring reconciliation in that relationship if possible. That requires the Holy Spirit because you're not that sharp, neither am I. It's not going to be some magic words. It's going to be the power of the Holy Spirit working on the inside of you that's going to be able to help you to move on. And I'm not saying what happened to you was right. I'm not giving validation to what was done, what was said, what wasn't done, what wasn't said. I'm not saying that you should just suck it up and move on. God sees your tears. Um, God cares, but he doesn't want you to get stuck. 
He wants you to be healed. But you've got to start with remembering the gospel. That's where we all should start. And in the life of, of, of Jesus, he didn't teach a whole lot of practical things that are like step-by-step things to do. But there is this one area of Scripture where he actually was very pragmatic, and he actually did give somewhat of a step-by-step process. Jesus just kind of did things in a very different way, um, and I think he did that just to mess with us, um, because we want to figure everything out, right? Like, we want to know you know, all the secrets, and we want to know how everything worked. And sometimes Jesus would heal a blind man by speaking. Sometimes he would heal a blind man by touching him. Sometimes he healed a blind guy by making mud pies. Where did, did you see that one coming? He spit in the ground and made mud pies and healed a blind guy. He healed a blind guy different ways. But here in the West, what we would do is we would go, well, what kind of dirt did he use? You know, what, what, uh, what, what was the, the saliva to dirt ratio? And where was this dirt located? Let's find that dirt, put it in a jar and sell it for three easy payments of 1995 and go heal some blind people. And that's what, that's what we would do because we look at that and we say, well, that's, that, that we want to figure a formula out. And Jesus didn't always operate that way. That's how we want because we want those guaranteed results follow step one, step two, step three. And that's how it works. Jesus didn't necessarily do that, but he did teach something very practical and something very pragmatic in Matthew chapter 18. So if you have the, your, your Bible, go over there. Matthew 18, he was very step-by-step and practical here in his teaching. And listen, the type of forgiveness that we need to have is going to help us to let go of offenses that perhaps non-believers have dealt us because we can understand the gospel and we can remember that we too were once blinded. We were once too living in darkness. We were once too alienated from the love of God, and we can remember if someone who is not a Christian, but what about when a Christian offends me? What about when a brother or sister in Christ offends me? How do I deal with that? That's where Jesus gives the practicality here in Matthew 18. Let's start reading in verse 15, and this is how we know that it's meant for believers because it says, if your brother sins against you, that's the very first thing he says. So that also applies to sisters, okay? (laughs) He's saying here that if that's familial language, he's using the language of family here. If your brother, if someone who is your family, if they offend you, so a brother or sister in Christ, if they sin against you, here you go, step one, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If we stopped right there, that would solve 99% of the problems in churches. But oftentimes, unfortunately, we often don't do that. We go and run to other people, and we talk about the situation rather than talking to the individual. And we say things like this, and this is not fair. We say things like, well, I know them, and I know how they're going to respond. Can I encourage you to put away your crystal ball? You don't know how they're going to respond. You don't know how they're going to react. No more than all of the people that thought the Brooklyn Nets were going to win last night. They, They were wrong, too, you know? The Milwaukee Bucks won. So, it, you know, it, it, you, you just don't know. You have a tendency to be wrong when, when you're guessing. And you have a tendency to be wrong perhaps even when you're guessing at how someone's going to respond. I'm not going to talk to them about that. I know them too well. I know their tendencies. I know what they do. Maybe they do respond that way. Maybe they do. Maybe you're right. But what if you're not right? What if God's been dealing with them? And what if they've been dealing with something And you're not giving them the opportunity to speak. And so you're choosing to be silent and hold on to the offense rather than confront them. Let me help you here with offense and confrontation. 
there's really two things that love does in this instance, and we need to remember this. Love does two things, all right? You can write these down. Love confronts and love covers. There's scriptures for both, where the scripture talks about love covers a multitude of sin. Sometimes I need to just allow that thing to be covered, and I'm not going to necessarily make a mountain out of a molehill. I'm just going to be able to let that thing go. Here's my criteria. This is not in the Bible, so take it for what it's worth. If you don't like it, throw it away. You won't hurt my feelings because it's not in the Bible. This is just me. This is Derek. And if it helps you, great. If I go to sleep feeling a certain way, thinking about something, and I wake up the next day and I'm still feeling that same way, I probably need to have a conversation with someone. It's not something I should just, you know, let go and be passive about and cover. That's probably something I need to confront. But maybe if I can pray about it, if I can go, Lord, is this something I'm supposed to confront? Is this something I'm supposed to deal with? And I wake up and I'm still dealing with it. Yeah, I need to confront that person. And that's what Jesus tells me I need to do. But sometimes love does confront, right? And so there's a certain way that love confronts because Scripture is very clear about this. We speak the truth. How? Somebody help me out. In, in love, right? Okay, so that means I still speak the truth but I speak the truth in love. Here's how you know you're speaking the truth in love. Are you ready for this? You, how you know you're speaking the truth in love is when the goal of your confrontation is reconciliation, not you being proven right. Now let me say that again. How you can know you're speaking the truth in love is when the goal of the confrontation and speaking the truth, when the goal is reconciliation, not you being proven right. If the goal is you being proven right, you will not speak the truth in love. You're coming from a selfish place. You need to pray about that and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to make the goal reconciliation, not you being proven right. So when you go to someone, go to them alone, Scripture says, and if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Awesome. Step two, Jesus says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So if he's not listening to you, if you tried the one-on-one -on -one thing, you tried to have the goal of reconciliation and he's just not hearing you, it doesn't say let it go. It doesn't say, well, cross your arms and be mad. It doesn't say just stay disengaged. No, Jesus says the next thing you need to do is bring a couple of mature people trusted people, people who are going to be there to try to have the same goal of reconciliation, not two or three people that are like your bodyguards that are going to like beat them up or wag their finger in someone's face. No, no, no. These need to be mature people, people who can be sensible, people who can uh, have the goal of reconciliation as well, and they want to try to show them um, their sin and help bring about reconciliation. But if he refuses to listen to them, verse 17, then tell it to the church. So I have some things that I got in emails that I'm going to read this morning. No, I'm kidding. That's a joke. I'm not going to do that. I was just trying to follow the Bible. Um, in our context, somebody got real nervous right there. You know who you are. No, I'm kidding. That's also a joke. Um, <laughs> I, th I think in our context, what that means with the way that we are organized and a way that I think we can stay true to the Bible um, and still follow that formula, per se, would be that we deal with it at a church leadership level. You know, if they're still not listening, maybe that's when you call elders or, or pastoral leadership in or something like that to help speak into the situation if you can't work it out in these ways. But then he says this. This is interesting. 
And then after you've told it to the church, if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? That doesn't sound very nice. But, but think about this. I want, I want to throw this at you a little differently than maybe how, you, how you're receiving that. Because some of us would hear that as, well, if he doesn't listen, we're just going to kick him out. And that's not what he said. He said, then let him be to you as a tax collector and a, and a Gentile. So if after all that stuff, he's still not listening and you're still not able to reconcile, he's saying treat them like someone who is an unbeliever. Well, how did Jesus treat tax collectors and Gentiles? Hmm. How did Jesus treat tax collectors and Gentiles? He, he spoke the truth to them. He loved them. He extended the olive branch, opened the door, but he changed his expectations for them. He had higher expectations for the people who were actually the religious people, didn't he? Jesus, if you read his life, he spoke much what we would call harsher truth to those who were people who were believers, right? People who were actually reading the scriptures, people were, who were trying to read and understand the things of God. He was actually very harsh with them in our, from our perspective because they had an element of understanding and truth that the Gentiles didn't have and the tax collectors didn't have. He sat down and he ate with the tax collectors. He sat down and spent time with them. Why? Because he was trying to get them to see the truth that they may come to faith in Christ. So when it comes to someone who you're unable to reconcile with, you leave the door open, you still keep loving them, but you understand they're operating with a different value system. And you've given them the truth, you've given them what they need, but leave the door open and keep loving them where they're at. And that's as we look at Jesus talking about these things. I think these are the things that, that we need to understand as Christians. And then he goes on later in that text and Peter says, well, how many times am I supposed to, like, forgive somebody? Like, I don't know. Like, what do you think, Jesus? Like, seven times? And Jesus goes, no. I say to you, 70 times seven. And then Peter's trying to do math, you know, like on his fingers. And, and you know, he's, like, trying to figure all that out. And what Jesus is saying is that there's no end to this. This isn't, this isn't some end. When do you want the cap for your forgiveness you get from God to be. Anybody have an idea? Do you, well, God can forgive me, you know, 200 times. Wait a minute, maybe two, 250 times. Um, no, no, maybe he can forgive me like 500 times. No, 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 we don't want God to put a cap on that for us, do we? And here's Peter asking, what's the cap? What's the limit? And we do the same thing. Someone offends us, and then they do something else, we get re-offended, Right? <laughs> Sometimes we get reoffended when we try to reconcile. We go to someone with good intentions and we're like, hey, let me share, you know, the other day when, you know, you did this, you know, I felt this way. And they're like, yeah, no, I don't see it. I don't get it. And you're like, reoffended. And it's like, it's worse that next time. Can I give you a little bit of practical advice in dealing with confrontation? When you're talking to someone and your goal is reconciliation, and you've been praying for them, you've been praying, you've been seeking counsel because Scripture says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, and you're approaching this with the goal of reconciliation, I want to give you something very practical. When you talk to them, use I statements, not you statements, when you're bringing up the issue as much as possible. Uh, use I statements. Hey, you know, the other day when this happened, or when you said this or did this, 
I felt this way, and, and I'm owning this because I, 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 I've been thinking about it, and I've been dealing with these types of thoughts, and I know that I don't want to, you know, have that type of relationship with you. And so I want us to be able to be brothers in Christ, and so um, this is what happened. And just try to minimize the amount of you statements because if you come at someone and all you're using is you statements, they're going to get defensive real quick, Right? You come at them, hey, the other day when you did this and you said this and you did that, they're going to be like, put them up, right? People are going to get defensive and it's going to actually cause more damage and you think you're doing something scriptural because you're confronting them and you go, well, that didn't work. <laughs> well, no, you approached it wrong. You didn't approach it in love. Own your emotions, own your feelings, own your part in it and use those I statements and maybe it'll help you as you try to navigate situations of offense because this is what I believe. And I have a lot of scripture to back it up. <laughs> I believe that the church, the body of Christ, should be a model of how to do relationships right to the world. I think the church should be a light to the rest of the world of how to work through disagreements and offense and hurt and pain and come out on the other end loving each other and being stronger because of it. We don't get that right very often, unfortunately, because we act and react the same way the world does. But I want to exhort you today, church, to look at the gospel, to remember the gospel, to start with the gospel, and to remember our call to love one another, our call to unity, our call to be engaged and use our gifts, not to sit on the sidelines with our arms folded, with our feelings hurt, and being bitter and angry towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. Eternity matters too much to spend our lives controlled by what we cannot control. Eternity matters more. Eternity matters more than us being proven right through our anger, through our disappointment, through our frustration. And the, the, the larger the gap is between reality and our expectations of others, the bigger chance that there is for offense to take root. And so we have to realize eternity matters more than my expectations being met. I need to get unstuck, and that starts with me taking a step of faith towards forgiveness. What if it doesn't work out? Yeah, you're right. What if it doesn't work out? But what if it does? What if God wants to do something in you through this? What if it's not even about the other person? What if it's about something God's trying to like break up the fallow ground of your heart, and he's trying to do something and he's trying to help you to grow as a man or a woman of God to be more teachable, more humble, more pliable. What, what if this is bigger than just this one situation that's caused you to sit on the sidelines and be disengaged? It's time to move on. It's time to heal. And it's time to take a step in the right direction. Maybe you don't go from A to Z today. That's okay. Don't feel guilty because you, 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 you took a step and it didn't fix everything. And you didn't get everything you wanted the way you want. Don't, don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Take a step in the right direction. It is time to get unstuck. It is time to get re-engaged. And it's time to have the tough conversation and repent of your grudge holding. It's time to repent of your gossiping and your, your backbiting. It's time to break free from the deception that the enemy has kept you bound and grumpy and mad at other people. And he's called you to love. John 13, 35, Jesus said that this is the way people are going to know you're my disciples. If you have love for one another, the calling card of Christianity is not where you park your car for an hour once a week. 
The calling card for Christianity is not the type of t-shirt you wear that says, I love Jesus. Or the cross jewelry that you wear or the bumper sticker on your car that says, honk if you love Jesus or whatever. That's not the calling card of the Christian. The calling card of the Christian is the way we love one another. You and I are called to love one another well. We are supposed to live in a way that's attractive to the world because they see us as family. We we're not always gonna agree. We're not always gonna get along. That's, that's part of the deal. But the next step we take is crucial. And if you're offended, if you're dealing with offense, and it may be offense that's years old, but it may be something that's fresh too. It may be something that's recent. Maybe something from 10, 20 years ago. Maybe those people aren't even around anymore who offended you. I want to encourage you to take a step of faith towards healing and forgiveness. To remind yourself of the gospel. Maybe some of you need to make a phone call today. Maybe some of you need to set up an appointment today. Maybe some of you need to reach out and get on somebody's calendar. Maybe some of you need to seek some counsel and some prayer over something, some wisdom. Whatever it is that's caused you to get out of the game and get disengaged, it's time to re-engage. I know you're weary. I know you're tired. But we need you. We need you to get connected, get plugged in, be the body of Christ, be the church. Be strengthened by the love of God and let that love strengthen you as it's strengthening other people and we have this wonderful thing that's happening that God's doing in us and through us. And the world looks and goes, what? What is that? I want that. I want that type of love. I want that type of belonging. I want that type of acceptance. I want that type of relationship. It's what we're called to be. Amen, church? We can't do this without the Holy Spirit, so let's ask for help today. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. And we acknowledge our need. And we know you're the answer. We know you're the answer if we're a person who hasn't surrendered our lives to Christ. We know you're the answer for someone who may be lost in, in our sin and needs to be forgiven and made right in the eyes of God. And so if that's the case today, Lord, I pray those people would reach out to you and would profess their faith and trust in Jesus and would begin to follow and walk in that lifestyle that you've called us to and we'll get plugged in and connected, Lord. And, and Lord, if, if someone here is dealing with offense today and hurt, disappointment, frustration, I pray you would soften even the hardest hearts, that you would bring healing, that you would bring wholeness, that you would give them the next step they need to take, whatever that step may be. I pray you would reveal that to them so that they can have the courage and the trust that they're following your path by taking that step. We pray for that type of courage in our church family, in our relationships within the church and outside of the church. We thank you for this, Lord, as you continue to strengthen us and make us the men and women of God you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.